do you know what mom kept in this box? Weird. Diane Moore, June 13th, 1957. My name is Betty Moore and my life is perfection. I wake with a feeling of needing nothing more than what I already have. I glide out from in between silk sheets and onto soft blue carpet that covers the bedroom floor and look at my husband, who is still sound asleep. My gosh, he's a handsome fellow. Even from across the room, I can make out his strong jaw, his thick, dark brow, his gentle snore, and I can't help but think that when God created man, he had Frank in mind. I tiptoe into the bathroom, where I slip into my silk blouse and light a cigarette, then start pulling the curlers from my hair. They twirl gently in between my fingers, and I am done in no time, looking exactly like a housewife should. I'm not just any housewife, I think to myself, observing my reflection in the bathroom mirror. I look like a Hollywood housewife. My blonde curls look impeccable, a hue of pink on my lips no one would ever suspect was unnatural, and my waist, it's so slim, it's to die for. Blue smoke curls along the mirror from my lucky strike perched in the ashtray, and I take out my vitamin box. Little red rosebuds along the edges of the delicate wood. Have you ever seen a box so dainty? I take a small round vitamin to start the day, but then I take another look at myself in the mirror, and I notice faint rings beneath my eyes. How strange. Those weren't there yesterday. But then again, who could blame me? I have two kids and a husband to take care of. I basically run the PTA, and last night mending Dan's football jersey kept me up way past midnight. So really, who could look perfect with all of that going on? I take one more of the small round vitamin pills to be sure the morning is a success. Then I place the box back into the drawer and move through the bedroom to the stairs like a ghost, the balls of my feet sinking silently into the blue rug. I glide downstairs as the first rays of glorious morning sunshine peek in through the windows, and for a moment I stand in the doorway of my lovely kitchen. It's such a bright yellow, it feels like I've stepped onto the sun itself. All these new, beautiful appliances. No wonder everyone is so envious of me and our home. I smile to myself, step up to the sink, and open the window to let in the fresh summer air. This early in the day, it feels refreshingly crisp against my cheeks. After a few deep breaths, I swear I can smell the roses from the front yard as I am leaning out. I get to work. I crack eggs into a bowl, press fresh orange juice, and slide bacon into the pan. And everything smells so lovely, so homey. But for some reason, the sizzle of the bacon, the smell of fat and grease hitting my nostrils, makes the blood rush to my head, and I have to abandon the stove to hold my head out of the open window once again. I inhale the fresh air in fast, giant gulps this time, until I can smell the bacon burning beside me and have to hold my breath and dump it into the garbage before it burns too badly. What a waste, I think, as I stand over the black, burnt strips of flesh. What a waste this all is. 
I have a few of my vitamins in the pocket of my robe, and I don't know what's gotten into me this morning, but it's not making me feel very calm, and so I take one of the bigger ones, one that is shaped like a little canoe, oblong, rounded at both ends. Then I clean the pan and fry fresh bacon and scramble the eggs, and it's no problem at all. When I'm done, I set the table and light another Lucky. Leaning back in the chair at the head of the table, I am an image of serenity as I wait for my family to start their day. Frank is the first to get downstairs. The sharp smell of his soap overpowers the kitchen as he takes a seat. I'll take two eggs this morning, love. No bacon. I should probably start watching this midriff. He laughs as he pats the front of his stomach, and I do have to admit it's expanded a little over the last few months. Sure. I beam at him, placing a glass of OJ next to his plate, eyeing the bacon that will now go uneaten. I wouldn't dare, would I? After they all leave, maybe. Just half a strip. No, that's ridiculous. This waste of mine didn't just happen by magic. This waste is strictly maintained with the utmost sense of discipline and control. Dan and Diane come bursting into the kitchen, late as always. I dish up and they start filling their mouths like they've been starved in a basement somewhere. Dan, slow down, you'll get indigestion. I rub his shoulder, just above the spot where I mended the hole he got during practice yesterday. He shirks away. Mom, eating! When did he stop liking me, I wonder? My fingertips graze the vitamins inside the pocket of my silk robe. But I've already taken an extra big one this morning, and I shouldn't overdo it. Last time I overdid it, things took a bit of a turn. I stroke Diane's curls admiringly. She tolerates it, unlike her brother. Very nice, Diane. Thanks. Janice and I have been doing each other's hair after school, and I really think it's making me an expert. If I believe what Mrs. Weaver told me last week, that's not all Diane has been doing after school. You best be careful, Mrs. Weaver had said at the last PTA meeting, pulling me off to the side in a very dramatic fashion. That Diane of yours has been parking with an awful lot of boys, and it will hurt her if everyone thinks she's easy. I had wanted to tell Mrs. Weaver to stuff it, but instead I smiled and nodded and still haven't figured out a way to talk to Diane about it. But the truth is, Mrs. Weaver is right. I will have to find a way to broach the subject delicately some other time. With her willowy build and quick smile, Diane reminds me so much of myself when I was 15. Just like Diane, I was one of the most popular girls in school, and just like her, I cared about boys a little too much. But then I met Frank, and everything turned out all right. Maybe I shouldn't worry so much. Maybe I should just let her be herself, so she can grow up to be just like me. That wouldn't be so bad. Frank and I have this beautiful home together. We have the children. We're happy, right? Sometimes, when I think about talking to Diana about boys, I get this strange urge, like I want to warn her. But then I can't find the words to name the danger, and so I say nothing. The hollow feeling that I get when I don't keep up with my vitamins springs up in my chest. The tips of my fingers graze along the jagged, chalky edges inside the pocket of my robe.
Anyone care for more OJ? I jolt up from my chair and squeeze the end of my cigarette into one of the grooves of the kitchen ashtray. The kids are still stuffing themselves like it's a competition, but I refrain from saying anything and open the large refrigerator. As I turn away from my family, I pinch a small, round vitamin out of my pocket and slide it into my mouth as if I'm pondering the contents of the fridge. The bottle of OJ feels cold in my hand as I pull it out. As I pass the stove, I look at the abandoned bacon and my stomach gurgles. I pour Diane another glass and then pour myself one as well. I read somewhere that orange juice is acidic, and I wonder if it can make my vitamin dissolve more quickly. All right, we're going to be late if we dawdle any longer. I'm eating as fast as I can. Dan answers Frank, and bits of egg fly onto the table. I make a mental note of wiping down the kitchen surfaces after they leave. I can see that. Frank answers and laughs as Dan gulps down his OJ, half standing. There's more bacon? Dan's eyes light up as he spots it, and before I can say a word, he's stuffing it into his mouth, straight out of the pan. You're disgusting, Diane says and picks up her books. You're disgusting, Dan retorts. I'm a 17-year-old man. I need all the nutrients I can get. Diane rolls her eyes at him. Bye, Mom. I'm going over to Janice's to do homework after school. Sure, that's where you're going, I think to myself. Have fun, dear. I smile at her, already picking up the plates they left behind for me to clean. Love you. Frank kisses me on the cheek and then on the mouth once the children have turned to go out the door. Love you, too. I touch his chin. I really do love him. I really, really do. Bye, Mom. Dan hollers from somewhere out on the front yard. Even though I don't usually eat breakfast, something strange happens after everyone leaves the house. I am putting the dishes into the dishwasher, and I've left the pan with the bacon on the stove, which is not something I usually do. Soaking the pan is vital to the cleaning process. But there I am. The dishwasher is loaded and running. The pan from frying the eggs is cleaned and dried and put away. But the pan, with the oily mess left behind by the bacon, the very smell that repulsed me just over an hour ago, now draws me in like a bee to sugar. And before I know it, I'm standing at the stove and I'm running my finger through the grease and the burnt bits of charred bacon left behind, just staring at it, gliding my finger left to right, and in tiny circles. Before I can stop myself, I am sucking the grease off my finger, slowly, savoring it. It is so good. I can't remember anything ever tasting this good in my entire life. I'm not sure for how long I stand at the stove, gliding my finger through the grease and sucking it clean, picking up charred morsels of meat and letting them crunch between my teeth. But before I know it, the pan is licked clean. I splash water on it and give it a quick wipe before I stow it in the cabinet. Thanks to this distraction, I am now running late, which is only made worse by the fact that it's Monday. Mondays are my shopping days, and I have to hurry upstairs and get changed as quickly as possible so I can get to the grocery store before the afternoon rush. 
I shower from the waist down only and quickly apply my makeup and put on my favorite blue dress with yellow flowers. It's a bit tight as I zip it up the waist, and I wonder if the grease has already taken hold in my thighs and vowed to not eat a thing until supper. Then I make a mistake. Usually, before I go to the store, I take a vitamin in the shape of a canoe, a big one, because the big ones really help me to relax at the grocery store. It's just so very loud there. What, with people bringing their young children who scream the entire time, and everyone frantically running up and down the aisles trying to get their week started, it's really just a complete mess. But after taking one of the big ones, it's quite relaxing, actually. By the time I realize my mistake, I'm already halfway down the street, and since I'm already running late, I don't want to turn back. If I get back late from the grocery, I will be late cooking dinner, which will then upset everyone else's schedule, and that's not fair. To let others suffer because I wanted to eat bacon grease? Besides, how bad can it really be? I go to the grocery store all the time, and I used to go without taking any vitamins at all. When I get to the store, it's a madhouse. There are young boys and girls hanging from their mothers, their carts. The women try to appear in control, but their faces are pulled taut, like they are moments away from screaming. I find myself going through the aisles as quickly as I can, grabbing things as I pass. After coming here for so long, I scarcely have to look at the shelves. Muscle memory fills my cart. The cart makes a low jingling sound as I tear across the linoleum, like someone rattling the bars of a tiny cage. There was supposed to be roast tonight, but at the last minute I realize spaghetti and meatballs will be quicker, so I get ground beef from the butcher and make my way to the register. It's going to be fine. Everything is going to be just fine. The line isn't as long as I feared, and I breathe a sigh of relief even crack a smile at the little girl that is climbing underneath her mother's skirt before me in line. She peeks out and flashes her crooked teeth, and I'm still smiling at her when I feel something stir inside of me. The hollow feeling pops into my chest, and I feel like I can't breathe. Don't think about it, Betty. Don't pay it any mind. That will just make it worse. The mother and her little girl pay for the groceries and leave the store. I inhale sharply, and the clerk starts adding up my tally. How are you today, Mrs. Moore? The young man behind the register smiles at me, and I smile back, but it feels like a grimace. Good, thank you for asking. I eye his name tag, Ken. The face of the young man, who has an unfortunate complexion, freezes as he looks up at me from bagging my groceries. Are you all right, Mrs. Moore? Ken's hand is halfway in the brown paper bag, the pound of ground beef suspended in his grasp. Yes, of course. I grimace my smile. He slowly lowers the beef into the bag, and I pay and hurry out of the store. When I get back to the car, I slam the door behind me and wipe the streaks of mascara from my cheeks using the rearview mirror. I'm going too fast. I know I'm going too fast but I need my vitamins. I need them now. I needed them an hour ago. Why didn't I just turn around when I realized my mistake? I was only five minutes away from home, and now look at me. I'm so stupid. 
I'm the dumbest woman to have ever lived. I am so hungry and angry. The thing I felt stir in the grocery store, a familiar thing, stirs again from between my hips. And the stirring inside me makes the hollow in my chest expand even more, like it's trying to tear off my arms. I just want it all to go away. I just want to make it all stop. My foot pushes down harder on the gas. When I finally get to our street, I turn sharply and the tires give out a little skidding sound, announcing my arrival. But I don't feel better being closer to home. I feel like I am being chased, like I am being herded. Herded towards something that will crush me, and yet I keep going towards it. Unrelenting, I keep going towards it. The houses on our street pass by me as I barrel down the road. They pass to my left, to my right. They all look the damn same. It feels like a dream where I'm stuck in a loop. I picture setting them aflame, lighting them like birthday candles. One by one, until it reaches our own house. With nowhere to go, I turn the car around and never come back. I pull the heavy wheel to the right and pull up the driveway. Bumping up and down as I slam the brake and drive into the garage, I don't remember leaving open. The left side mirror shatters against the garage wall, falls under the car somewhere. It's too tight to get out on that side, so I climb across the passenger seat and fumble with my keys trying to open the door. My hands are shaking. The keys rattle in my hands. Let me in, let me in. I run upstairs, shoes still on. Thank God the kids aren't here to see that. There is no air for me to breathe, and yet the air is choking me. When I get to the bathroom, I fall to my knees and pull the drawer open, find the little box. I'd be able to find it in pitch black if I had to. Two canoes send me out to sea. My mouth is dry and they start to dissolve on my tongue. Such a bad taste, it stings. Hoist myself up to the sink in the bathroom, drink from it hungrily. I've never taken two big ones before, but I know that this is what it'll take to make the hollow go away. I find my bedroom cigarettes and light one, sitting on the edge of the bed, waiting for everything to be perfect again. I am such a neurotic mess. Thank God for the pills. I picture myself sending Shirley a gift basket for helping me discover them last year. What a mess I would be without Shirley and her mill towns. The doc gave me something great for my nerves, she'd said, passing me a lemon tart over our weekly bridge game, eyeing me, my pale face, the nervous gaze I'd carried around for weeks. Really helped me put things in perspective and focus on what's important. I'd scarcely looked up at her, nibbling politely on the lemon tart like I was actually going to eat it. Is that so? I answered, my voice flat. Yes, my nerves were so frayed from everything going on. The kids, Hank, I mean, you know what it's like. I looked up at her, her gray eyes piercing mine, knowingly. It really helped me relax and focus at the same time. They're saying it's the wonder drug of the century. Well, it's not even really a drug. It's just something to help you relax. Everyone's taking it. It really is more like a vitamin. A week later, I got my prescription filled. A week later, the hollow in my chest started to collapse in on itself, dissolving just a little every time I took one of my vitamins.
This strange, indescribable dread is silenced as long as I keep up my dose. Dosage is so important. Too little, and I get a day like today. And then, of course, there was the one time I took too many. But I'm more careful now. I know my limits. My hands are still shaking, and I burn my fingers with the glow of the cigarette. I hiss at my hands. I am so far behind on my daily dose, another canoe couldn't possibly hurt. Spaghetti and meatballs are one of my favorites. Not only does it have tons of protein in the shape of fun little balls, but it also has carbohydrates and long stick forms, and tomato sauce is most arguably a vegetable. Besides, the kids love it, and so does Frank, and if I am careful and only eat one meatball, I can feel quite full and still be pleased with myself. Life is but a balancing act. Frank gets home before the kids, and the table is already set, and I am humming some tune I heard on the radio. The picture of a warm, welcoming home, if I dare say so myself. Hello, sweetheart. How was your day? I beam at my handsome husband. But something is wrong. He's not smiling back at me. Betty. It's all he says. Just my name. Betty. Betty what? I'll go fix you a drink. The kids should be home in no time at all, and we're having one of our favorites. Spaghetti and meat. Betty, are you all right? He interrupts me. Yes, of course. I don't know what he means and walk out of the kitchen, letting the door swing shut behind me. Frank follows me out. Betty, the car. What happened to the car? Whoops, I forgot about the broken mirror. Oh yes, that. I had a little accident on my way in. You know I'm not the best driver. But I already called the garage and the mechanic there. Uh, he said it could bring it in tomorrow. I haven't really called anyone. But I will. As soon as they leave for their day tomorrow. Just got to add it to my list, and it will all be taken care of. Betty, is this like before? My stomach sinks. Why would he bring this up? I'm feeling so terrific. Why would he say anything about something that happened once? I get the urge to slap him for reminding me. Slap him right across the face. Why can't we just think about the good stuff for once, Frank? Huh? Why? Why do we have to dwell on the bad stuff all the time? But I say nothing bite my lip, look at him with a coy look like, whatever do you mean? Like the time I came home and the... Frank trails off and grabs my shoulders. I stiffen. Oh, you mean my little baked Alaska disaster? I laugh and pull away, fix him a drink, stir in the ice nice and cold. I wish you wouldn't call it that. It makes it sound like a circus trick. You scared the daylights out of me that day, and I'm worried that maybe, maybe something isn't right, and I ought to know about it. Not right? Everything is perfectly fine. You're being ridiculous. I hand Frank his drink. Shut up. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Yeah, it's just that day, when I came home, the, the fire was starting to spread, and it's just, I just want to make sure something like that doesn't happen again. It won't. I say making my voice sound serious. So serious it almost makes me giggle at myself. All right, then. If you say so. Frank looks defeated. It did get me that brand new kitchen out of it, I quip. 
and I like this one far too much to let any harm come to it. Frank doesn't look amused, but I hand him his drink and we go back into the kitchen, where he takes a seat and watches me warm up tomato sauce until the kids get home. Diane, what's that on your neck? Dan pokes his sister in the arm. Shut up, Dan, she glares. Both Fred and I choose to ignore them. How is school? I ask, burying Fred's attempt at outing his sister. Great, I got an A on my math test. Diane smiles and rocks giddily in her seat. Miss Jane said that if I keep it up, I might get into a really good college and that I could become an accountant like Dad. I don't say a word. I feel strange. When did Diane start getting A's in math? Well, don't get ahead of yourself, young lady. Before you know it, you'll be shacked up with some nice young man and you'll have a family of your very own. Fred says matter of fact, and Diane stops rocking in her chair. Your mother was quite the whiz until she met me, and we knew we wanted you guys, so she focused on more practical things in school. You don't need math to make meatballs, right, honey? Diane looks at me. The hollow sprouts in my chest. Sure, that'd be swell too, of course. She smiles at me encouragingly, and all of a sudden I know that she can see it. She can see the hollow in my chest. But how? How was practice, young man? Fred turns towards Dan, who goes on about something the running back did. Some pass interference that went wrong. Words blending together. Useless words that don't make anything better. Just drivel about balls and running and his coach. I turn and get up from the table. You all right? Fred's voice is tinged with worry. The football facade so paper thin. Swell. Just need to grab something from upstairs. Diane doesn't look at me, and I know she can still see it. I need to make it go away. I walk out of the room, controlled, make my way up the stairs. Two more big ones to heck with it. I can't take her looking at me like that. The pity in her eyes. I reapply my lipstick. A weak excuse, but it's all I can think to do. The rest of dinner goes by pleasantly. Diane looks away when I sit back down. Frank and Dan go on about football and what colleges might be interested in him next year. It's all very exciting. We finish dinner. I put the dishes into the dishwasher, make my way upstairs, say goodnight to the kids, tell them I'm turning in. They say goodnight over their shoulders, hunched at their desks with single beams of light as they work on their homework. Diane is doing her math. I can tell she's doing a good job. Numbers scribbled everywhere, her face set in deep contemplation. Good for her, I think. Pass down the hall, close the bedroom door behind me, slip into my nightgown. Ten minutes later, while I'm setting my curlers, I can hear Frank creep into the bedroom. He's misunderstood my turning in early. I am so tired. I have never felt so tired in my life. The circles under my eyes have darkened even more, without the layer of makeup to paint them away. Frank sits on his bed. I can hear the spring sigh beneath his weight. He's so handsome. I take two more canoes. It's not like I'm planning to make a baked Alaska tonight. And I don't want Frank to think I'm not excited to be with him. It's just better to take them now than have it be strange while we make love. When I leave the bathroom, I try to act innocent. It's part of the act, my surprise at him wanting me. 
like I'm this innocent thing that couldn't come up with the idea myself. Then I let him climb on top of me. The ceiling sways above me as he goes to work, and the vitamins dissolve inside of me. I wonder if Frank can feel it. As I start to relax, the ceiling above sinks down like a giant white veil, and I think to myself that I like being on his bed, rocking gently. It's over before the veil is lifted, and I wander over to my bed, where I lie completely still, smiling up at the ceiling through the veil of white. What a perfect wife I was today. Perfect Betty, with her perfect husband, perfect house, and perfect kids. Something kicks against my bladder. And then it all makes sense. The familiarity of it all. It's all happened before. With Dan, and then again with Diane. My strange cravings for greasy pans, the exhaustion, the taut feeling in my blue dress with yellow flowers. I watch as years run backwards. The three years left on Diane, the single one on Dan, like they meant nothing. An hourglass flipped and reset to 18 years. Frank is snoring in the bed next to me, a loud, dull sound from his perfect jaw. You did this to me, I think. You did this to me. But then Frank smiles in his half-sleep when he sees me staring at him from across the blue bedroom floor and mumbles, I love you, Betty. He turns onto his side. I realize it's not his fault. It's mine, somehow. There's only five vitamins left in the box. I don't check the dosage. I take all of them and creep back into bed. I stare at the ceiling, wait for the veil to lower so I can finally rest. When I finally drift off, I swear I can hear Diane calling out to me, crying like she did when she was a baby.